0: Our scripture today consists of two parables in the Gospel of Luke that have to do with loss, seeking, finding, and rejoicing. They're usually read in conjunction with the parable of the prodigal son, which is about a different kind of loss and joy. But today we're just focusing on those two, about the sheep owner who loses one sheep and a woman who loses one coin. So listen now for the word of God from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found the sheep that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, Sweep the house and search carefully for it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. God, of rejoicing, we come seeking and hoping to find. You know what our hearts need most. Quiet all the distractions within and without so we can notice what you are saying to us. In and through this, your holy word, shape us into the people you dreamt of at creation. Amen. Whenever we encounter biblical stories with such evocative images, whichever character or dynamic we resonate with the most says a lot about us and our understanding of how God works in the world. These parables are often preached with an emphasis on how modern readers are like the lost sheep that God will not stop searching for until it's found, or that modern readers are like the Pharisees grumbling at Jesus' radical inclusion and hospitality nothing wrong with these interpretations, but I wonder if there's a different way for us to enter the story today. I'm curious about how we react to realizing that someone or something is lost. Luke clearly states these parables are about repentance and forgiveness between humans and God. But New Testament scholar Amy Jill Levine argues that first century listeners would have interpreted these stories very differently. Primarily about what it means to be in relationship to one another they would have gleaned a lesson about what it means to cultivate communities that reflect the love God has for creation. So to understand that a little bit better, it helps to have some context about the Pharisees and the tax collectors who are both mentioned here. Historically, the church's interpretation of the Pharisees as being constantly criticized and judged by Jesus has led to intense and violent anti-Semitism. Even our most basic association of a Pharisee is thinking that that's someone who's judgmental or legalistic, someone that Jesus didn't like. The Pharisees were the rule-following contingent of their faith community. They loved God's word. They spent hours studying it, living as closely as they could to its ideals, which are ideals that we still share. Caring for the widow and the orphan, pursuing justice, observing festivals and holidays, regularly worshiping and praising God. So if we were to think of a a Pharisee parallel in the modern day church, it would be that elder who has served on session or the deacons for years. It would be that member who keeps track of the colors of the liturgical seasons and makes sure that we have everything in the right spot. It's that person who makes sure that the plates for communion are stored in the right place and put back on the table when it's time for that. It's those folks who understand our polity, the way that Presbyterians agree to relate to one another, and they work hard to make sure their churches uphold it. A modern-day Pharisee are the folks who faithfully serve on committees of the church, making sure there's enough food for meals and coffee hours, spending time with our children, caring for the sick, leading Bible study. The list goes on and on. Pharisees in Jesus' day were the super involved folks, the folks for whom religious life, a shared faith, mattered. They clung to it because it was there that they felt connected to God. But just like your stereotypical, very committed church member today, Pharisees could mess up. They could exclude without realizing it, they could be offended by someone's behavior that they thought was disrespectful. If you've grown up in the church in the U.S., you likely can think of someone like this. Someone who was perhaps well-intentioned deep down, but it came across in a painful way. The congregants who tell a little girl she shouldn't wear pants to church. The folks who make newcomers move out of their pew. Those who place conditions on their giving. Those who look down their nose at someone else because they appear to be homeless or disabled or LGBTQ or just different from them in some way. Now, on the other hand, the parallel to tax collectors today is not just people who might be different from ourselves. There's a nuance that's important here, too. And over the years, we kind of gloss over tax collectors and sinners to make it mean outcasts or normal people who are occasionally unkind to someone or kind of sin in a small way. Tax collectors were Jewish folks who worked for Rome, for the oppressor of their siblings in the faith. And they didn't just work for Rome in an admin office somewhere as a secretary. (laughs) They enforced the heavy taxes and penalties that Rome imposed unjustly on Jewish people. They took advantage of people's poverty and their vulnerability. They rarely forgave debts or made accommodations. They abused power and they hurt people A modern corollary would be people like loan sharks or arms dealers or those who make big systemic changes that unjustly affect people who are already vulnerable. Tax collectors in Jesus' day perpetuated violence, oppression, poverty, and desperation. So, given that context, I think we can empathize a little bit more with the Pharisees and their grumbling. They loved their faith community. They loved God. They didn't want the safety and joy they experienced in that community to be jeopardized by those who had proven themselves to be unsafe. Why would Jesus eat with them? Did he condone their behavior? Did he not care about all the harm they had perpetuated? What about the poor and the sick that Jesus so regularly helped and healed? How could he spend time with the people who ensured that those same poor and sick people stayed that way? The Pharisees valued their faith community the way of relating that God had designed and showed them. They didn't want it to change. It was good enough as it was. When people are faced with change, they often react by trying to control people, circumstances. Jesus brought wisdom and healing, but he also brought change, conversion, transformation, wherever he went. And that was good news for those who were struggling, those who longed for change. But for those who liked things the way they were, initially, the way Jesus destabilized everything was very troubling. The Pharisees weren't looking outward to see who might be missing from their family of faith. They were looking inward and concerned with preserving the goodness of a tradition that they loved. And I want to pause and say there's nothing wrong with wanting a faith community to be good and loving and safe. There's nothing wrong with loving one's faith tradition and wanting to celebrate and preserve its goodness. But there is a challenge in this text, both for the Pharisees then and for us today. It would have been difficult for the sheep owner to look at a flock of 99 sheep and immediately tell that one was missing. Visually, if you think about 99 of something. 99 sheep does not look that different from 100 sheep. He would have only noticed that one was missing if he was regularly counting and checking on the flock. And the sheep owner's actions didn't make business sense either. Leave 99 perfectly healthy sheep in the wilderness on their own just for the sake of going to get the one? It would have made far more sense to just call it a loss and move on and protect and care for the 99. But for the sheep owner, the flock was only complete when all of its members were there, all 100. Even just one sheep not present made the entire flock not whole, not complete, not what it ought to have been. And so the sheep owner went to great lengths to find the sheep, to bring it back into the fold, and to celebrate when the flock was whole and complete again. There's a similar value difference in the parable of the woman with the lost coin. If Visually, if you look at a pile of quarters, it would be hard to know if you had 8 or 10 or 12 in your hand. If she still had 9, it would be hard to know that that one was missing unless she counted those coins regularly. And similarly to the sheep, if she only had 9, she's only lost 1, it might have seemed silly to go searching just for that 1. She still has a 9. That's still pretty good. But for her, that stash of coins was incomplete at nine. It needed ten to be whole. So why? Why would Jesus set up the parables in that way? Why was one sheep just as valuable or even more valuable than 99 other ones? Why was finding one coin just as important as holding on to the other nine? In both of these stories, Jesus described people who took stock of something— who understood all the pieces needed for their collection to be whole. They assessed, they evaluated, they checked to make sure their collections were complete, that nothing was missing. Now, a traditional reading of this parable draws comparisons between the sheep owner and the woman and God, that God will always search for us when we're lost, which is true. Unlike other parables, both of these have explanations tacked on the end that scholars speculate was Luke's commentary. If this was like most of Jesus' other parables, for example, the ending would go something more like this. And when the sheep owner comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice for me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And it wouldn't have this extra thing about there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. But those comparisons have limits. God can never lose us Earlier in Luke, Jesus assured his listeners that even the hairs on their heads were counted by God. So what if we read this not as if God was the woman or the sheep owner, but that we are the ones who lose things? What if we are the ones who don't realize that something is missing? What is the challenge and call then? The sheep owner and the woman with the coins regularly took stock. They counted. They asked themselves, what's missing? Who's missing? And when they noticed what was missing, they went searching high and low until the group was made whole again. So I want to run with this imagining for a bit. Perhaps the flock of sheep and the collection of silver coins could represent our faith community today. Which means that when one person is missing from the faith community... We are called to go seek them out, invite them to come back home, and celebrate when they show up. It means we're called to to take stock, to count, to look around regularly and ask, who's missing? Because on this side of heaven, there's always someone missing, someone who needs to know that God loves them, someone who's been hurt by the church and is walking through life lonely and isolated. In a church building like this one, it can be easy to lose sight of this sometimes. I come from a very small church background. There's no way (laughs) to sneak in the last pew and sneak back out. It was small enough to notice everyone and everything for better or for worse. And it meant that it was easy to notice when someone was missing. We missed their trembling soprano voice. We noticed the empty pew. We missed their thoughtful prayer requests. We, We could notice who was missing. And it also meant that every time someone crossed the threshold and added to the gathered community, every time someone came and got us closer to like a, a critical mass, there was deep joy in that room. Not just in my heart as a pastor, but in the community itself. The scripture talks about rejoicing in heaven and joy in the presence of angels whenever one sinner is welcomed back into the fold. When a community is whole, when it takes a step in the direction of wholeness, there is joy but in a larger space like this, and within a larger community like this one, I think we're around 200 members strong right now, it's a little harder to notice who's missing. And it's easier to not ask that question. There's all these other things going on. We tend to spread out here at Old Pine a little bit. And these, the way that makes it a little bit harder has some really powerful implications. Like the sheep owner or the woman who lost the coin, we can fail to notice. We can lose track of each other, but that doesn't mean we can't go out in search of them again. It means that for our current members and our elders, our deacons and our staff, we are challenged and called to work hard not to let anyone go by unnoticed and to always be thinking about who is missing. We're challenged and we're called to count, to assess, to regularly ask who is missing, who needs to be here in order for our faith family to be complete. We're called to ask the question, who isn't here and why? When you meditate on the love that God has for you and this world, who comes to mind who might benefit from being a part of this congregation? Who's missing? If we're to follow the example that Jesus sets before us in these parables, it also means that if someone withdraws from a community or relationship, we are called to notice and to go seeking. And if you are the one who withdraws, this parable reminds us that you are needed. You matter. We're not complete without you. If you're visiting with us today or discerning your involvement here, if you're feeling lost and a bit adrift, there are people here in this room who are looking for you, people who are searching for you so that you might feel a little less alone. There are people who understand that we are not complete until we can be sure that no one is missing. When I was in seminary, I served as an intern at a faith community that had several other interns working there at once, and this meant that weekly we would gather to do kind of a group supervision session. And we would do theological reflection on the work we were doing. Now, I was younger then, and perhaps a little less mature, and some of the other interns I really loved and respected, and some of them... Uh, I did not. <laughs> uh, they made unnuanced nuanced assertions and they were frustrating to work with for whatever reason. And I would often disagree with what some people would say during these group supervision sessions, but I never really felt like saying anything about it. Part of it was I didn't like conflict, and part of it was I just didn't feel like it. And because it was a group setting, for a while I could get away with just being physically present but not really contributing to the conversation. Eventually, our supervisor pulled me aside and called me out on this. He said that by not engaging, by not participating, I was hurting the group. That if I didn't want to be there, I should just go. But if I was going to be there, I needed to participate and not just withdraw when someone said something I didn't like. He saw something that I had totally missed. I didn't think my participation mattered. I thought that they would be complete without me that my observations weren't really worth sharing. I thought that withdrawing and being silent was a a neutral act, that it wasn't hurting anybody. But it wasn't neutral. It was actively working against the community the supervisor was trying to build between all those interns. So if we can think about these parables with that lens, then the one sheep is not more important than the 99. The one coin is not more important than the nine. It's just that all of them are needed in order for them to be complete and whole. We worship a God who prioritizes wholeness and completion and shalom. A God who has spent centuries showing humanity over and over in countless different ways that they are beloved. That the family of God that God created is not complete until all of us are present together. We worship a God who does seek after us when we are lost, a God who looks around and asks who's missing, who has been led astray, who feels lost and alone, and then goes searching for them. And so we too are to ask who's missing, who feels lost and alone, and go search for them. We too are to understand that if we are missing, if we are gone, then the family of faith is incomplete. So we ask Who's missing? And if we find ourselves withdrawing, we ask ourselves why. And in the meantime, we rest in the knowledge that we are truly valued and loved by God and one another. This is good news. Amen.